Welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. In this episode, sit down with Bill Free, longtime hunter and bow technician, as we discuss what you can do to ensure you and your bow are ready for the deer season. Alright, what's going on everyone? Thank you again as listening as always. So today, as I'm finishing this up, it is October 1st, the Michigan bow season opener. Uh, by the time this is done, there's going to be a lot of you already in the tree stand. So best of luck to all of you out there. That's what we've been waiting all year for, is to be able to hit those woods again and start chasing the state's favorite as well as the, the nation's favorite uh, game to go after. That's the whitetail. But as you heard in the intro, you know, this episode... You know, it, it probably should have been done a little bit sooner, but, you know, this is a very informative episode sitting down with Bill. Uh, Bill, uh, you know, I've known him kind of an acquaintance for some time as he, uh, you know, has worked with me before on some of my boat equipment stuff. And, you know, really just been starting to talk with him more and more and more, um, especially as I progress in my, you know, wanting to know more about bow setups and, you know, just enjoying talking with him about hunting in general, you know, is <laughs> quick story with that. We ended up, uh, I went in there just to get, you know, double check the tuning on my bow. And I was in the, the shop for about an hour with my wife and kids waiting in for me in the vehicle. I just got caught up with, you know, chit chatting and, you know, talking bow stuff and hunting. So he's, he's one of those guys that you can just sit down and talk hunting with him uh, until, you know, until you absolutely run out of time, really. So Bill is over there with the team at Shooters Outfitters and uh, an indoor range in Traverse City, Michigan. As you'll hear in the episode, he helped me, you know, basically purchase my new bow, help get it all set up, making sure everything was shooting as it should, uh, everything was square and tuned up properly. That way I could proceed on with, uh, get myself ready for season, essentially. So we sit down, talk about with his background in hunting and how he got started and how he progressed to where he's at now. We get into some of our outlook and predictions for the season, kind of talk about what we got for Intel and uh, how we're going to you know, go after you know, the deer for this you know, early season. And then we really dive into the meat and potatoes of you know, getting your bow set up, how to select a bow, you know, making sure it's tuned properly. And we kind of just break down you know, those you know, things to consider uh, when going through that process. So, and if you like this episode, make sure that you leave a like, leave a comment, leave a review. And if you want more content, head on over to mihuntingpodcast.com. That's where I keep the full collection of all of the content available from this show, as well as additional videos. And if you want more special access content, become a member. We will get access to a monthly live show, discounts on everything within the store, You'll get exclusive members-only giveaways, as well as a free gift with every membership. So I'm not going to hold this up any longer. Let's get into the conversation with Bill. All right. So, I mean, we we did dive into quite a bit already before oh, we yeah. even got started. Um, but, yeah, the big thing was, you know, I guess, honestly, I don't know a ton about you, Bill, other than the few times we've chatted and whatnot. So, uh you know, I guess let's go, you know, did you start out, you know, hunting as a, you know, as a kid or did um, you come into it a little bit later? I'm a first generation hunter. So I actually got into hunting because 
I picked up a bow magazine walking through the grocery store with my mom one time and found it very, very intriguing. So I picked it up probably about the age of 15 or 16. Um, didn't have hunters in our family, so I had no mentorship. Um, thankfully, I had friends that I had in school where their dads hunted. Okay. Kind of took me under their wing. Gotcha. Okay. Which was awesome. And then it blossomed from there. You know, now it's in a, really an addiction. Right. I mean, so, I mean, we can even, you know, going from, you know, you didn't have, you know, family that introduced it to you. Mm-hmm. You you did have some friends that, you know, were able to mentor you a little bit with their, maybe their, you know, dad or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like a lot of self-teaching. A lot of it is. It's trial and error. You know, that's the great thing about this. You go out. We watch we watch the outdoor shows, and everybody's like, "Oh, I need to get this scent, that scent. I need this clothes, that clothes." You know, that's a lot of a lot of it's marketing, and it's trying to find out what works in Michigan. You know, because a lot of these shows we're watching are Iowa, Kansas, that sort of thing, um, manicured farms. You know, manicured lands that they're hunting on. Um, so really a lot of it's trial and error going out going hey did i have success with this i look at scents calls rattling all that stuff it's tools that you have in your toolbox just like you would if you're fishing we all have a bunch of lures in our in our boat not every day does that lure work you know we find we find patterns that they're on or colors that they like and so again i think the same thing goes on in the deer woods you know early season we're concentrating more on food source on that you know now that there's no baiting for guys it's natural food source find your find your red oaks your white oaks uh beech nuts that sort of thing of what they're eating on do you have a a fruit bearing tree that's in your area so um and then you start getting into that pre-rut you know when the bucks start kind of cruising spreading our wings, start making scrapes and all that fun stuff. And and so that stuff started to intrigue me. So, you know, working with scents in the scrape world, um, because, again, it's communication for them. You know, buck rubs are a communication. So, and, and again, once rut hits, we all know what they're going for. They're going for the ladies. So, again, I, I don't think a lot of guys focus on does, but those will bring the bucks to you. So if early season you're looking and say, man, all I'm seeing is doe after doe after doe, you know what? It's, it's going to heat up. Yeah. You've got to give it time, and it will heat up for you. You know, those those does are going to draw those bucks in because they're after what they need to do, breed. Yeah, I ran into that. So the private piece I hunt, you know, it's it's still, you know, I've kind of figured it out enough that it's a rut stand. Mm-hmm. Big bucks, you know, the big target bucks will show up every so often, but, you know, they're not really huntable until the rut. And usually it's, you know, seeing them on those scrapes. And so this time of year, if I'm seeing the does, I'm seeing the fawns, I'm seeing the young bucks hitting those scrapes, I know that they're just, you know, they're building up that scent profile. Absolutely. And eventually that big guy is going to come check them out. He's going to come hit them. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, that, that mindset of, you know, that not having those bugs or whatnot, just waiting it out until the time's right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we all, unless we're really hunting bedding areas where we're really dissecting, you know, it, and I hunt public land, so it's tough. You know, you're dealing with hunting pressure, people just driving around ATVs, all that fun stuff. So it, 
it complicates things. You can't control what goes on on state lands. Um, but you can also learn to pattern hunters and where they're at and how are they hunting with the right winds, not with the right winds. You know, because, again, hunting, there's a lot of people that just go out and sit in the woods and hope for the best. You know, it's, it's a wing and a prayer that they're going on where other guys are truly dissecting a little bit deeper going, I can't hunt this. You know, this is a bad wind. This is an off wind to hunt that stand, not putting that homework in. Um, like I say, for me, hunting is 365 days a year. Cause when season's done, we're on to next year, you know, now it's starting to go, Hey, walking the grounds going, where were the bucks traveling? Because now you have no leaves on the tree. You can see all the signs of the buck rubs, how they how they use the area and go back and make a make a new plan for the following year. So right, uh, it's tough shed hunting up here. You know, I, that's one thing I wish wish we had really cool was some great shed hunting areas. You know, like like you see down in Iowa and all that, but we just don't. Um, I, I have never myself found a shed in northern Michigan woods. I haven't either. I found one deadhead a couple of years back, but shed-wise, yeah. never. Yeah, them porcupines and squirrels, they eat that stuff up <laughs> real quick. So yeah. I, I watch my social media, and all of a sudden guys are like, oh, yeah, it's March. Let's go find sheds, and they're walking out, and they're, you know, in the CRP grasses and stuff like that. And I'm sitting there going, yeah. Yeah, still not finding that needle in the haystack, although I'd love to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, right now, so this, this episode is going to come out. It's going to be October 1st. So there will be yeah. people in the woods, hopefully, when they get to listen to this. So, yeah. um, I mean, it's really that crunch time of getting things ready. So, I mean, do you feel like you're ready for season to start? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was ready a long time ago for season to start. Um, again, I'll hunt Michigan. Um, Probably not hardcore early. I think the earliest I'm going to get out is probably maybe October 6th, I think, would be my first day in the woods. You're not uh, going to say opening day? Uh, no. One of our guys at work has uh, uh, his brother's getting married. So this is one of the first opening days that I will miss. Um, it is kind of that holiday is what I call it. But, right. Um, he's getting married, so this will be the first time that I don't hunt the opening day. I do love it. You know, it's just for the nostalgia of it you yeah. know it's getting out there and just being able to get back to mother nature watching the sun rise again in the woods watching watching it come to life and that's that's what's intriguing to me a lot of times yeah. not so much about the hunt but the memories that come with it yeah it's definitely especially that first sit for the year it there's something about it it's just yeah yeah it's, it's it feels, magical it does it is yep. magical yeah it's magical so um and you, we talked a little bit before we even started recording that you've got some pretty good intel that you've got some pretty good bucks on camera and yep, it's just starting to heat up for you. Yep. Um, one thing I'm always really interested in is kind of the style of individual hunters. You know, everyone kind of has their own little niche, what they like to do. I mean, um, so I guess what what style do you think you more? Are you more like the bedding guy, transition, working off food stores? What do you think? Bedding changes so much on state land just because deer are getting bumped. So, again, I'm not looking for hardcore bedding areas. I know there's some good bedding areas where I'm at. The downfall is there's not good trees to get in that real close, you know, where where I feel that you could really sneak in and, and get them right in that bedroom. Um, 
So for me, early season, I'm hunting primarily food source close to between food and water is, is, is really where I'm at, more in that transition type area because, again, they've got to eat. They are going to meander. They're going to, you know, deer are foragers. They're just going to meander through. I've got spots right now, um, like I say, good bucks in there and stuff, but you can definitely tell it, it's close to bedding, but there's no trees that are worthwhile to get in there. I mean, you'd, you'd blow them out going in. Um, got one spot where I thought for sure I'm sitting here going, this is a slam dunk. I'm going to find the bucks that want to get away from everybody because it's a treacherous, I mean, it, it sucks going in there. Um, you know, finally last night I did get one eight point that's moving through there. First, first buck. But other than that, I got does living down there and I'm sitting going, wow, this is, you know, it's one of those areas that really surprised me going, man, this is not what I expected this camera to give me as far as intel. You're sitting here going, bachelor bucks are going to be down here. It's away from everybody. It's away from pressure. Um, you know, it's down on the river. River bottom is really where it is. But I don't think we've got enough pressure yet. So my mind's saying right now that we'll probably see, I'll probably see better bucks as season goes on, as pressure increases, as as traffic increases out in the deer woods. They want to get down away from everybody. So um, it, it's a sucky walk. Um, and it's one of those areas, if, if you're going to harvest something, it's going to be the right deer. It's not going to be... Hey, I'm going down here to shoot a doe because I'm not dragging it out that, you yeah. know, for that hard at work. So, so some of your your state land spots, then mm-hmm. you can you can actually notice or feel the pressure from other hunters that are coming into the same areas. You yeah, then? yeah, yeah, yeah. They start just bumping because again, a lot of guys, a lot of guys have two days off a week and they're hunting, and it doesn't matter if the wind's right or wrong for that stand. Or do they even know if the wind's right or wrong for that stand? You know, because again, some guys go out and go, here's an oak tree, it's loaded with acorns, and I'm hunting it. Well, you're hunting it with a north wind, you're hunting it with a south wind, you're hunting it with an east, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't control what you have on your days off. And guys, I think, uh, just want to be in the woods. You know, it's my day off, I want to hunt, even though it's might not be the right answer. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I know a few years back, um, you know, I used to feel, you know, fall victim of that where it was like, I got this spot, like you said, an oak tree or something like that. This is hot. I'm going to sit it. I can, I can go out t- tomorrow morning. That's what I'm going to do. Not really considering what the wind direction was, you know, that was probably the big one. And then the access route coming in and out, like, yeah, crossing over paths that the deer are coming through or just not thinking whether it's morning sit or an afternoon sit which one's better for not bumping deer off of you know whatever food source or whatever area that already is i think you hit a key right there a lot of guys don't look at their entrance and exit strategies on a stand um and to me that's huge if you've ever had a deer catch your trail and all of a sudden they stop you'll see them kind of work what you walked and all of a sudden sometimes they'll veer and go totally back the way that you started. And 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 it's pretty cool to watch it because, again, that's learning. You know, if you see a deer catch your trail and all of a sudden it's trying to track you like a dog would be, 
it, it's pretty cool to watch and you sit there and you know what you got to give a high five to that deer because it's like we're in their bedroom we're in their world going into that woods and so when they win sometimes you just got to sit there and smile too yep so oh yeah yeah and it's funny too because yeah you can have 20 deer come through and maybe one is like wait a minute mm -hmm. something's not right here mm -hmm. there's something new here checks it out and is like all right no yeah. i'm out yep yeah you can tell the smart one real quick <laughs> yeah yeah i had even the like i even ran into a situation um a few years back where it was a year and a half old deer late season like my camera was like 30 yards off from my hunting blind overlooking the food plot went out there grabbed the card came back and that year and a half old buck he hit where i had walked and just hit the brakes yeah nope went back yeah. that was a year old half old buck yeah. and he figured out something that this isn't right see and that's it a lot of times when i'm getting when i've got the cameras running for intel it's not that i'm hunting over that camera i'm looking at what's around you know i'm putting the camera in an area where i can get the best pictures for where for intel of that area it may not be the best stand location obviously um but at least then i can get travel routes are they are they coming from the east west and all that so what's their what is their entrance and exit strategy as well right so but especially on on state land that can be tough because mm -hmm. a lot of times you get some of that denser cover there's you know countless trails coming in and out and it's really hard to figure out it, like how many which of these trails can i go over and have it not mess up my hunt mm -hmm. um i've got one spot in particular where i'm pretty sure the, the vast majority of movies movement is still gonna be in front of me but there are a few trails that I cross over. Yeah, when you there. got multiples, and again, I think a lot of times they're just using that based on the wind too. You know, mm -hmm. they may have that primary trail that they run in and out because you got a, you know, an off wind, you know, a northeast northwest, you know, some sort of a primary type wind that's going on. But when that wind is predominantly out of the north, you know, they're probably running that south trail, you know, a little bit more. Um, Deer don't always get it right, I can promise you. Otherwise, we'd never kill them. Right. You know, a lot of guys sit there and, I think, put sometimes sometimes too much into the wind um, because we have weeks where it is just straight south winds for a long time. Right. So you're telling me deer just will never, you know, yeah. we would never kill deer if right. that was the case. Deer make mistakes. Yeah, so. and I know, like, you know, the... I've, I've killed two bucks walking with the wind. Mm -hmm. My daughter's buck was technically with the wind, even though it was a very calm wind. Sure. He was technically, sure. wind was at his back. Like, mm -hmm. they don't always put their nose to the wind, so. No, absolutely. Absolutely yeah. not. You know, yeah. when they do, though, yep, they'll probably beat you. Oh, a yeah. lot of times, they'll beat you. So, yeah. Um, you know, there's products out there, obviously, if you're doing scent, scent uh, elimination, you know, sprays. Some guys run the ozonics in the tree. Some guys are running the scent lock suits, all that fun stuff. Um, it, that's that's personal stuff, you know, if you're into it and you you think that it works and it makes you believe that it works, then, then use it by all means. So mm -hmm. um, I definitely think just taking a shower, you spraying your boots down, I don't go hardcore, you know. Yeah. I do have an ozonics tote and stuff that I that I deodorize my clothes but other than that I'm running I'm running Sitka so there's no activated carbon or anything in it but yeah that's I think that's one thing I do too I run a little ozone generate like in my tote mm -hmm. after the hunt throw it in there it runs automatically for like 20 minutes shuts off yep and it yeah just kind of eliminates the need to have to potentially rewatch especially hiking in and out oh, yeah. you are going to build up soil you are going to build up that sweat and everything mm -hmm. like that 
and it just cuts down a little bit on that residual on your clothes. Yep. So again, it's not, having having gonna, wipes in your pack. You know, when you get up in your tree stand, you know they make those scent-free wipes and stuff. Because again, yeah, a lot of times there's many times where you got to slow yourself down because again, early October. Man, it could be it could be eighty degrees out there. Well, what opening days? What high of seventy seven? I think yeah. is what they're calling for. Pretty crazy. So pretty crazy. It's definitely gonna be one of those things that yeah. It's watching guys in Kentucky though. It was like ninety degrees on their opener. You know, it's it, and I'm like, man, it's like I never thought there was a time when it's too hot to hunt, but that would be too hot to hunt that, in my opinion. That would be pretty close <laughs> to it. Yeah, yeah. It would have to be like definitely like some really hot intel like. This bug is doing this every night. I need to get on first night of the first night of the season. But yeah, so far for me, I mean, it's I've got bucks that are showing up on camera, but again, they're they're sporadic, and it's not even enough to have a good pattern on them. So again, more than likely, I'm gonna be I'll be out. Fingers crossed, I'll be out opening night. It's probably just gonna be more of an observation sit, overlooking a marsh or something like that, and just you know, kind of gathering intel, not buggering up some of my more pristine spots see and that's that's another you brought up another great point honestly observation sits are awesome you know where you're just trying if you don't have cameras that are giving you good intel and stuff if you got that spot where you can just go in i call it burn a hunt you know because you're burning you know you're not planning on seeing anything within shooting distance sometimes you get lucky and it happens but it's amazing what you can learn from just taking a half day, just burning a hunt, look at, get a great visual of how the deer are utilizing it and stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, if, if we all had drones, we could be doing that too, you know, and see how they, <laughs> see how they use it. But Careful, that's going to be a hot topic here over the next few years. I think that one will be. I think that one's going to get uh, get a lot of, yeah, there's there's going to be some stuff, I think, come down on that. The fact that there's some areas going to war on cell cameras or yeah. trail cameras, drones are definitely going to be yeah. very, uh, a very hot topic to <laughs> discuss. I mean, there's states where you can't use anything that's got a battery in it. So, you know, lighted sight pins, that sort of thing. And so it it, it is. I, kudos to those states because they're drawing a line somewhere. You know, technology is changing. There's benefits in a lot of stuff that we use. I love cell cams. Mm-hmm. Um, I like not having to go out into the woods and check my stuff. I, yeah. Same thing like what you're talking about too. Like I've got the two cell cameras I run are both on, you know, within shooting range of a couple of my tree stands. So I can get Intel camera Intel without ever going yeah. and buggering up that location with my actual presence. So, yeah. yep. It's really nice because it's hunting when you're not. That's really what cameras give us. They're doing the hunting when we can't or when we can't be out there going, man, I'd really, you got those two stands that you're like debating going, man, both stands would be a great stand today. And you pick the wrong stand because then you get the intel from the other stand going, man, I could have hunted it with that wind. And, you know, it just lets you know that the choices that you're making are right or wrong, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah, because that's the worst when you've got you know too many spots that are for like a certain wind. So it's like, all right, I've got ten choices. Which one do I do? You can kind of get a you know paralysis by analysis of trying to figure out where you're going to go. So yeah, you can beat yourself up over that stuff. You can. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, so that's awesome that you've got some pretty good intel. Sounds like you got a pretty good plan, and that uh, yeah, you just got to wait it out for when 
good Lord willing, like I say, you know, normally that uh, end of October, that's really when I start getting a little bit more excited. Um, <clears throat> deer will start moving in, you know, expanding. You'll find deer that all of a sudden, man, I never got a picture of you. Where'd you come from? And so, like I say, it's that's what makes hunting great. You know, I probably have more fun scouting throughout the year than I do hunting, but hunting's awesome. Yeah. But it's also cool putting the pieces of that puzzle together, working and, you know, trying to figure things out. So it's. Yeah. It's, I mean, like you said, some people, you could, you know, be about it for deer and deer season. And after the end of it, you're done with it. Other people, it's a year round thing. Yeah. And that's like, we've talked about it a lot, lots of different times. Like, that's part of the beauty of it. You have the option where you can go in the deep end or you can just enjoy it and relax yep we were talking earlier about tuning and stuff and i mean man we can dive in deep on all the all that stuff you know paper tuning bear shaft tuning group tuning uh french tuning you know all that there's so many different variables um and like i say is there an application for each one sure i i think there is um you know, again, we want to have our arrow flight being good coming out of the bow. We don't want our arrow coming out at 90 degrees, you know, sideways. We're trying to achieve maximum penetration, you know, that arrow behind that broadhead doing its job. Um, but is a is a slight tail high, paper, uh, tail high, is it a bad tear? No. You know, if it's five, six inches, yes, it's a bad tear. Um, is a little tail left, a little tail right? Is that going to be the difference between you sh you killing a deer and not killing a deer? Probably not. You know, right? Um, you may have you may see issues in broadhead flight. Some guys shoot the broadhead, some guys don't. Um, you know, like I say, this sport you can make it what you want. You know, if you want it to be to be real simple, it can be. You know, uh, it's amazing how many people come to me and. You know, it's like bear shaft tune is all of a sudden, like, I would call it the new flavor of this month, it seems like this year. Uh, I've seen more guys, you know, it's always been paper tune. You know, paper tune's just, that's a basic start. Hey, my arrow's coming out of the bow good. But now everybody's, everybody's, I want bear shaft. And I'm like, okay. And the reality is there's some people that have form flaws that no matter w how they tune it, you know, no matter how we move the rest, uh, how, no matter how we raise that knocking point, they have bad form flaws. And so no matter what, they're not going to get what they're looking for. Um, yep. I think there's a point where we have to look at ourselves and go, I think if we spent more time working on ourselves, working on form, you know, creating that shot process, you know, uh, set your bow hand, hook release, draw to anchor, acquire peep, acquire target, execute shot, follow through. You know, I mean, if if people just went through and created a, a checklist, bing, 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 you know, um, and if you're unsure... Am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? You know, archery in its simplest form is repeatability. It's doing the same thing over and over and over, and that's where you're going to get that consistency. But if your grip hand is off, you know, a little bit each and every time that you're not finding that good, consistent grip placement, 
then you're not going to have good impact on target. You're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with creating what what most would call a good group. Um, if you struggle putting your pin on the target, you know, or hey, I'm 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 bringing my, you know. I'm aiming at six and shooting at 12. Well, sometimes that starts to develop target panic because now all of a sudden I know I'm holding at six to shoot at 12 o'clock. I start holding a little bit lower at six and a little bit lower and a little bit lower because you know you have to hold low. But, um, you know, I watch people punch their triggers all the time on their release. You know, it's getting a good feel um, on that trigger finger placement to execute a good shot. Um, and this is stuff like you and I talked earlier, this is stuff that's great to practice in the backyard, you know, at the target range, you know, but the reality is when deer hunting comes down, most of us are hammering, hammering that trigger because deer moving, deer walking, um, you know, again, I shoot a thumb button. I try to execute back tension in my practice regiment, but the reality is in the deer woods. I'm dropping the hammer on that. I am hammering it with my thumb. My pin is on it. Bam, I'm executing the shot. Um, there's probably been two two times where I said, man, I executed back tension in the deer woods like amazing. <laughs> so, um, But it's there for that. You know, if you've got that in place, when, when you go to hammer it now, it's not going to be as critical. You're not going to have as big of big a mistake in that situation because you've been practicing good shot execution good shot execution so that one time you hammer it it's it's not going to change if you're just constantly sitting there hammering hammering or punching with your trigger finger punching with your trigger finger when you get in the deer woods it's going to be bad it's going to be bad yeah i know i mean you helped me um you know basically you know purchase the my new bow from your shop Mm -hmm. and you helped me get all set up and yeah we we talked about that like we were just getting it would you know tear ever so slightly to the right and then we make a minor adjustment it tear ever so slightly to the left it's like mm-hmm. okay like mm-hmm. we could nitpick this exactly dead. a lot of it is is going home and in okay let's shoot for groups you know and again i i'm groups groups tell me everything so uh i'll shoot at 20 yards i'll shoot at 50 yards what what are my groups telling me you know, if, if I'm hanging, hanging to the left, then I've got to make a rest adjustment or I've got to make a cable adjustment, cam lean adjustment, depending on what bow, what bow I'm shooting. Um, and so, yeah, it's just looking at it as a whole. Being honest with yourself, saying, hey, I executed five great shots there or three great shots there, you know, so you're getting that true read. You know, if you got a buckshot pattern going on, it's kind of hard to adjust to that. we got to see that group one way or the other. So for me, again, I will give up a paper tear over over shooting consistent groups. And it happens a lot where I'll have my bow set giving me a perfect paper tear. And then all of a sudden I shoot 20 yards, I shoot 50 yards, and I start to see my groups either walk left or right. And so, like I say, I'm going to have to tweak. I'm going to have to dirty up my paper tear to give me what I want. Right. And that's okay. Yep. And it, we, we ran that too where I told mm-hmm. you that I had made an adjustment to my site because I was trying to get my field points and broadheads together, and you're like, oh, okay, then we're not going to mess with yeah. it. Yeah, yep, absolutely. To me, you got to find where that guy's happy going, I've got to have a perfect tear or I'm not going to sleep tonight or my, you know, I'm, I'm going to miss that buck if I don't have a perfect tear. 
it's not the case you know to me it's to me it's always about group it's about broadhead and field point accuracy in, right and getting those two to come together yeah so i guess you know for most you know most bow hunters and whatnot you know if there's a tuning issue what's usually you think the the biggest you know issue or like someone brings their bow is like it doesn't seem like you're shooting right or mm-hmm. you know they come in maybe they're bare shaft and their paper tune is like it's off you yep. what probably one of the biggest things that i see because again um Guys don't change their strings and cables, I think, enough. And so, again, cams can come out of time. Um, Even single cams have an optimum cam rotation. You know, it's not syncing with another cam, so it's not as critical in that single cam world. But there is an optimum cam rotation of of where that needs to be at rest, which would create your draw links being correctly and all that fun stuff. But... um, I see a lot of bows that come in where there is a timing issue on their bows where either it's the top cam or the bottom cam's hitting. And most guys can feel that if you draw your bow back. So if you're shooting either, you know, a, a, a two cam or a binary type cam, if you draw back and, and you feel like a, a stop, but then can pull more through and you almost feel a second stop, chances are your cams are out of rotation. It feels like a bump bump, you know, when you draw back, uh, very spongy. And so really your cams are fighting each other. Uh, actually had one that came in just the other day. I sat and I watched, watched the kid draw back and I go, just watching him at the counter. I go, man, your cams are out of time. And he's like, what? And I said, draw back and draw back more. And he's like, holy cow. And I'm like, that's, that's probably what's causing a lot of this issue with you. And, and especially being a, this gentleman's a new shooter, so he doesn't know. And so there's a lot of people that are eager to dive into the tuning and all that fun stuff. Um, sometimes it's rest. Sometimes it's literally just looking at their grip and they have got a death grip on their bow. And, and so, but I would say a lot of times it's either going to be knocking point adjustment, rest adjustment that's causing most people's issues or cam timing in that situation. Gotcha. And, and again, if it's a grip issue, you know, trust me, professional athletes, still have people that they go to for training and all that fun stuff. And so if you're unsure, um, check your local archery shop. I'm sure somebody there is either a USA archery instructor or something like that. And so have them look at your form flaws. Draw length is another thing that I see a lot coming in. Some guys are shooting way too long a draw. Some guys have caught on to the way too long. Now they're shooting way too short a draw, you know, trying to, trying to compensate. And so, um, you know, go to a trained professional in your area, um, and those are going to be most of your archery shops. Um, most of your local archery shops are guys that go to the ATA, sit through classes, and, you know, uh, have worked with other shooting instructors and stuff like that just to just to be able to help you get better and stuff. And, yeah. and again, if you've got a bad habit, it's not going to be fixed overnight. So don't think you're just going to go in and, oh, my grip's wrong. Okay, cool. Problem solved. No, it, it's like any addiction. You know, it takes you about 30 days to, to put that as a habit. So, you know, if you quit smoking, it takes you about 30 days to quit smoking. Um, so, again, everybody's natural is want to go back to what, is normal for them or what feels what felt right 
which was actually wrong. So why do we want to go back and do it? So, um, and that brings me to the point, you know, a lot of bows are coming into the shop right now a week before season. Well, what are we, three days now before season? Yep. Guys are just busting them out. Um, you know, it, it, and that's fine. This sport, like I say, you've got your hardcore hunters. you got your hardcore shooters that are out shooting 365, you know. Um, they're out hitting the tack events, all that fun stuff. And then you got your guys who are like, I want to put some meat in the freezer and, you know, make sure i've got some venison venison for the winter that sort of thing um if you truly want to improve in shooting want to get better pull your bow out sooner you know um may june you know pretty much once that snow is gone pull your bow out and and i think you'll see your skill set greatly improve you know by putting more time into it and by putting more time i'm not saying you got to go out there and shoot four hours a day because that's not the answer um, but again, if you can dedicate 10, 15 minutes every night, just to flinging some, flinging some arrows, working on something and say, Hey, I want to work on aiming better. Hey, I want to work on shot execution better. I want to work on follow through better. Um, I think you would see leaps and bounds of improvement, you know, spending just, just a little bit more time, you know, and I know we all live busy lives right now, you know, the work shortage that's going on out there and jobs everywhere and not enough people to fill them. And so people are working overtime, but, um, yeah, just, just spend more time. I mean, spend more time with that bow. You know, if you're that guy who's just like, yeah, I just like doing it, but you want to get better then then just bring your bow out a little bit sooner, you know, get a little bit better, uh, seek out some help, you know, like you say, hit your archery shop up, um, and say, man, I just want, I just want to improve. The tack event is probably one of my favorite events every year. Uh, Total archery challenge. It is hunters from all over. These are the guys that like live, eat, breathe, shoot, and bows, which is awesome to see. And we're blessed to have it up here in our woods. So we don't have to travel long ways. Um, hit one of those events. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, they stretch some ranges out there. They're designed for people who, you know, if you're a local, you know, shooting 20, 30, 40 yards, bam, they've got a course for you. If you want to test yourself, they got a course for you, you know. Yeah, yeah. You, you can pop them out there, you know, 105, 110 yards, so. Yeah, yeah, and I know, I mean, yeah, they have those side, you know, side events that you can, I think, knock on. Uh, John Dudley has always brings out that Yeti, and it's like always 100 plus, and yeah. you got to hit like a little sticker in the yeah. center of his chest, and you win the tries, but yeah. Um, those are always great. Yeah. Cause they're, they put you outside of, you know, just practicing in your backyard, give you some potential, you know, a little bit more realistic, you know, shooting scenarios of elevation changes, you know, tight, tight locations. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, yeah, I mean, be prepared to probably lose a few arrows, Absolutely. but, but, uh, it's a fantastic experience and yeah, it gets kind of gets you out of your a little bit of your element and where you can kind of test yourself in a, a situation that you're normally not comfortable with. So. Sure. Yeah. That That's a lot of it. You know, it's, it, if you want to grow in this, you, you want to grow in shooting, sometimes you got to push, push that envelope a little bit, get, get outside or grab a go- group of your buddies and just say, Hey, we're going to block off this time. We're going to go here. Even if it's just one day, go and shoot, man. It's an absolute blast. Um, same way, if you got a spot in your backyard, invite your buddies over. It's always fun shooting with friends, you know. Um, 
just have a good time. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, since we're kind of on the topic of being prepared and whatnot, I guess we're going to have to dive into the some of the crossbow hunters. Mm-hmm. You know, not really digging on crossbow hunters all that much in regards to, you know, I typically am open to the idea, but I do see a larger number of people that use crossbows that aren't as prepared for the season as your compound or your, uh, you know, trad bow guys that are going to put a lot more work. And I think a lot of it is either just just that reliance of the equipment itself, that mechanical advantage gives you, and not spend the time of being proficient with, with that equipment. Sure. Um, that's typically what we're seeing come in the shop right now. A lot of it is, hey, I just pulled my crossbow out, you know. Um, again, it's I, I kind of look at it, I think, crossbow guys take a lot of the philosophy that deer hunters do you know they pull their bow out or pull their gun out or their crossbow out um they shoot three times hey i'm on we're good let's go hunting um or they pull their crossbow out and had it hanging in the garage and didn't realize maybe a mouse got in shoot some stuff up or forgot that hey that serving's starting to go um but again you know, with crossbows, if you don't beat it, bang it, drop it, much like a deer rifle, it's going to hold true. Um, it gets expensive shooting a crossbow, like how we shoot our compounds, because most crossbows, uh, their strings and cables, like on a Raven, they're telling you about 200, 250 shots on a set of strings and cables. Really? That's it? That's it. Oh, so, well, I guess that makes sense. They're the amount of torque and there's a lot power of power in. going into them so so like i say i think some guys may be looking at it as as a cost thing you know because again now all of a sudden a set of strings and cables is you know installed you're looking about 140 150 bucks for 250 shots and so i i think guys struggle with that much like guys changing their oil in their car 3000 is recommended <laughs> i'll push it to five you know strings are that way in the bow world yeah um, even compound guys are that way it's like that expense that nobody wants to talk about mm. um but i think i think that's part of it i think part of it is is again it is a much simpler form of hunting with a crossbow um because again you pull it back it's already cocked for you all you have to do is load that bolt flip that safety off in away you go you know um so again, there's, there's guys still get excited. I know when they shoot their crossbow because I see it by mistakes that happen in the woods. When they cock their crossbow, those limbs come back, and then they turn, and the deer's to their right, and they shoot, and that limb hits a tree and bends the cam, blows the strings off. So there, there's. Trust me, I, I will see a lot of stuff come October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of mistakes that were made. I Compound guys, I literally have them. I think people just get so excited when season's here. You'll see broadheads go right across strings, and it comes in in pieces. And I'm like, wow, okay. Thankfully, I've never done that, but but we do see it every year. And it's, I mean, it's guys guys are excited to be out there. So put yourself through the paces, you know, before you head out to the woods. Here's what I'm going to do once I get up in my tree stand or my saddle or in my ground blind type thing. What You know, kind of prepare. So hopefully we don't have these accidents of, man, unexpected repairs. And, and 
again, our workload is at an it's high right now. <laughs> it is high. Yeah, um, I remember talking to you well, probably about a month ago, mm-hmm. and asking you like, and you're like, "Yep, things are things are picking up. Yep, people are dusting their stuff off and yeah. realizing that they need to come in." It's a. Uh, I, I love what I do. In in some days, you just pull your hair out doing what you do because again, it's I get it, but the workload sometimes, you know, it, and again, we dealt with it with through COVID when supply chain was tough and trying to get parts. I had parts on one guy's bow that I waited, I bet you 11 months just to get them. So it was, it was brutal. Um, things have gotten a little bit better, string materials available, all that fun stuff. Uh, manufacturers are back to work operating. And so, um, things have been a little bit better there, but it, it it's still some stuff is still just a struggle so yeah and i mean we you've kind of already talked about like you know if you have questions if you're you know, you know having it run into an issue take it into a bow shop take it into someone that's um you know got the experience because mm-hmm. i know you know even just when we were doing some paper tuning and whatnot you, you were looking at my form and mm-hmm. you noticed that we were having some weird tears and mm-hmm. you know we kind of determined that that you know i had some facial pressure from the fletchings mm-hmm. you know made a recommendation maybe move those further down the arrow shaft away from my face so mm-hmm. eliminate that yeah i think you talked a little bit about my grip about how i was gripping it mm-hmm. or i think i would have a hand open and then as i shot then i would clinch up correct so i think that's you know and that's something that you're like hey it's point out like i mean i shoot you know probably hundreds of arrows every year and it was something that i never even you know yeah. i just got got in my rhythm that's what i did and you point out, like, hey, maybe just do this a little bit different. You might get some better results. Doing this, I, I've been doing it a long time. I don't remember how many years, but it's 20-plus, 30-plus years now um, that I've been involved in this game uh, or this career. You know, I call it a game, whatever. But um, it's amazing watching from the outside, watching somebody shoot. You can almost you can almost visually see what their mind is seeing because you're like, okay, yep. Oh, their fingers on the trigger. Oh, their fingers off the trigger. So they were on the target, off the target, on the target. And then they play the, the peekaboo game with their, <laughs> with their finger. Um, or fingers will start tapping on the release. I watch guys cause they're like sitting there and I'm like, yeah, he's just waiting for that dot to settle on that target. And then all of a sudden hammers it. And oh, okay. I'm like, man, you know, because everybody's got little quirks, mm-hmm. and so you can kind of see what's going on. But, but again, it's it's using our skeletal structure. I mean, we can go into crazy detail on why we should be using our skeletal structure versus muscle and all that. But um, yeah, it's form flaws. There's there's a lot, you know. But again, if you're getting the results and everything is easily you can duplicate everything you know i mean jethro tall can play a flute on one foot you know most guys can't but he learned to do it and hey it's cool it's repeatable for him so yep um and, and that goes back to our discussion again of you can go into the weeds and nitpick everything mm-hmm. about your technique or sure. if you're shooting good grooves if you're comfortable you it's repeatable mm-hmm. keep doing it absolutely absolutely yeah it, it just boils down are you can are you happy with where you're at in shooting? You know, if you're not and you want to get better, you want to improve, then I would say definitely seek out because I'm sure there there's things that could be done maybe form-wise, maybe bow-wise that would make your 
make your stuff improve much, much better and get you those tighter groups. That's what we're all striving for, you know. For me at 20 yards, if I'm not hitting, you know, that quarter is what I call it. You know, it's like the center of that X ring. It's disappointing, you know, because you're sitting there going, I know I have the ability to do that. And so um, if you're shooting softball size groups right now and you want to improve, stop stop into an archery pro shopper. Uh, you can go onto USA Archery's website. They'll have a list of instructors and, and try to get with somebody who will work with you and um, get you going in that right direction. So. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of that, too, yeah, they can even direct you as to, is it a mechanical issue that's causing the right. issue? Or is it the shooter that's, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. either they're, they're something wrong with their technique or maybe they just, you know, need to be get, you know, maybe just more practice even. Sure. So Absolutely. And again, even when I'm working with shooters, even though I may notice five different things that might need correction or that we need to examine, I'm focusing on the biggest first, you know. And so a lot of times I may have five things in my head going, these are five things I just instantly saw that we need to work on. Let's focus on the most important that's going to show a little bit, little bit of result a little bit quicker and then then we kind of pick through that list from that point because again it's about instilling that new habit that new correction and it takes a while for that to take effect um nobody ever wants to come in and you've got five things instantly that tell them that they're doing wrong because they're like well what am i doing right you know and and so you don't want to deflate you want to build you want to encourage you want to get them because again my goal is I want everybody to be better. You know, I want everybody to improve and and love this sport as much as I love this sport. So Right. But. Yeah, I know. I mean, we even talked about, you know, again, before we started, you know, asking how the new bow shoe, and I told you I started coming up with an issue where, mm-hmm. you know, I would always, in my part of my technique was I would always raise the bow up to the target. Mm-hmm. So bring it up to my, you know, the bullseye and then settle in from there. Well, now it was bring it up. It would get on point. And then it would drop. Yeah. And we even just discussed this, hey, try going the opposite. Mm-hmm. Start high, drop it down low. Mm-hmm. And again, there's a few different reasons why sure. that worked out. But. Yeah. It's it's going with gravity in that situation. It's using gravity to its advantage instead of fighting gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there's guys that come up and it works for them and stuff, you know. But there's also guys that come up and develop a serious target panic because all of a sudden it's a drive-by shooting. And yeah. so... So for me, it's always about why do I want to fight gravity when I can use gravity to my advantage? Again, even if I do do a drive-by like what I was talking about and I hammer the trigger, deer is typically going to drop. So even if I do drop a little bit low, my chances of of success are better than if I do a drive-by and blow it out the top. So Yeah, and again, you know, me haven't i mean that i've done that same routine for the past three years mm-hmm. never had an issue where i started yeah. hanging low and all of a sudden this year yeah it became an issue talk to you like hey try this yeah. out all yeah. Right. yeah we can go that route like i say we talked about you know maybe adding some stabilization um again we could re-examine grip and look at that how that pressure is are we shooting a little bit of higher wrist which is forcing us to kind of point that pin down a little bit there's you know, I, I wish there was just a simple answer. Here's what's wrong and here's how here's how to fix it, you know, but but it's not. Um, like I say, it, it's looking at everybody's situation as a little bit different. And 
uh, diving in, you know, literally watching somebody shoot, and then you can kind of see their shooting style. Um, but, but yeah, we'll get you figured out. We'll get you hammering, hammering uh, bullseyes honestly, again. That, so. Just that technique, like I, I even started already doing that. Like, well, mm-hmm. all right, if I'm fighting gravity, mm-hmm. coming from the top and just seeing the work, and then you just reaffirm, like, yeah, that's probably yep. the right answer. Yep. Um, I know everybody wants to come up that back leg, so they want to see that and then move back, you know, up and back, up and back. It's it's everybody's movement. <laughs> it's everybody's movement. Yeah. But it's also a very tough movement because, again, we're trying to fight up. Yeah. We're trying to fight gravity at that situation. Yep. Um, so that, I guess, kind of dives into the next, you know, section of topics that I want to get into is, you know, getting that right bow set up for the individual. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone... You know, it's always funny seeing all the flagship bows come out, sure. you know, every fall and everyone getting all excited. Like, oh, I'm getting that next one. It's like, maybe that bow is not a good fit for, for you. Sure. It may not have the right specs for you. Um, you know, I think I'm sure you probably agree that that's probably more important is finding the right bow for the, for the shooter instead of trying to make a bow that they want work for them, essentially. Yeah. I, I see it every year. I need brand X because that's what my buddy shoots. That's probably one of the biggest things I see. I need, and and I'm like, man, we are all different. What we like is different. Um, I like a smooth draw. I like a solid back wall. I like dead in the hand, you know. Other guys are into speed bows or, hey, I need a short bow where I'm just the opposite. I want a longer bow. best recommendation i can do in that situation um because i think we've all experienced new bow syndrome where we buy that new bow that we spent stupid money on and we shoot the best we've ever shot for the first two weeks and then all of a sudden you almost get buyer's remorse and you see a lot of bows on sale on websites um, that were flagship bows only shot 300 times you can't tell you got to put time with that bow you know and i think some guys just want to have it maybe they're doing something on facebook or you know on a youtube channel and they just buy a bow test it and sell it type thing but i I, i've seen this cycle over and over and over for very many years um do your due diligence would i love you to buy a bow from me absolutely i would i'd love to sell you a bow but what i sell may not be what you're looking for so Shoot as many bows that are in, you know, set your budget. Shoot those bows within your budget. Shoot a bow that is maybe $200 outside your budget. Can you justify how that bow feels different from what's in your budget to warrant spending an extra $200 or not? You know, um, it's your money, man. That's what I always say. It's your money. Uh, you spend it how you want, but I also want you to be happy. And so a lot of times if a lot of guys, it's just spending a little bit more and they find, wow, there is a, there is a difference, you know, cause the young kid that I was working with where his bow was out of tune, he was asking me that question the other day. He's like, so what's the difference between a $399 bow and a thousand dollar bow? And I said, man, Bam, bam, bam. It started rattling off. I'm like, dude, you're getting a machine aluminum riser, uh, premium bow strings on it. Uh, the bearings on your cams are going to be a lot better than the bushing bearings that you're shooting. Um, limb material, makeup, all that fun stuff. 
And I said, when you shoot it side by side, you will feel a difference. You know, and he's like, wow. I go, your back wall will be different because the cam's a much better cam and gives you a more solid back wall to it um, because of the draw stops that they have um, or the module system that they're running on it that gives it a way better feel. And I go, you'll shoot faster speeds because typically, again, um, with that with the cams you're gonna you're gonna get faster faster speed set up off of what you've got in that budget line and i told him i go here's the thing that 399 dollar bow will kill a deer just like that thousand dollar bow does right he said it just boils down to what do you want you know that's really what it really boils down to you know i told you earlier the Indians killed them with crooked sticks. <laughs> we got 001 straightness shafts right now. And it, it, it's crazy, the technology and how it's gone. But but for buying, for buying a new bow, do your due diligence. Shoot as many brands that you have in your area from, from your archery store. Or if you've only got box stores in your area, go to the box stores. I'm not a fan of box stores, but that's just me personally. Um, but... But go to the archery shops and shoot as many bows as you can. That way you physically understand going, wow, yeah, I really like how this feels. And a lot of times if you you come to me and say, I'm looking for a smooth draw, solid back wall, and I, and I want something lightweight, you know, there is a wall full of bows sitting there, and I can probably narrow it down to three or four. Let's, let's shoot these. And again, it's about getting feedback from the customer going, yeah, I really like that. Well, if you really like that, I think you're really going to like this. Or if you hate that, well, that rules this one out. So yeah, you can kind of rule that, rule that out. I shoot bows sometimes when we go to the shows like the ATA show. I shoot bows that we don't sell um, just so I'm familiar with what they're offering in, in their lineup. Um, it's not like I'm looking to add a new line or anything, but a lot of times I just want to know what company X has out there. So yeah. again, I can share that information. Hey, I shot that bow. I, I did like it. You know, I think it's a great choice, you know, or here's what I experienced with it. I didn't like the hand shock that it had. I didn't like the draw cycle or whatever the case may be. So yeah, getting that firsthand knowledge. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think anyone that'll tell you that. You know, his experience in archery is, for especially a new shooter, shoot as many bows as possible because, again, they may not know what they like yet. Yeah. You know, when I bought, you know, my bow, you know, I already, you know, I, that's part of the reason why I waited five years mm -hmm. to get a new bow was I was looking for certain specs, certain performance, you know, features. Yeah. And it was just like every year there's a new, like every year all the flag, break, or flagship bows came out and it's just like, that's not quite what I'm looking for. That's not what I like. Finally found one that you know had had the specs I wanted to again shoot it make sure it is what you what you expect it to be, um, but yeah like you said if you have certain you know criteria that you're looking for you know stick to those that yeah and I think honestly that's what we're kind of seeing in that compound world I would say you're always going to have a group of guys that have to shoot the newest, the latest, and the greatest. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. I like selling bows. So <laughs> it's not a problem. But then you also got that guy who is a, he's a hardcore hunter. He hangs onto that bow for four or five years. And I, that's what we kind of find is the average throughout the industry. Because again, 
from one year to the next, you don't see those technology changes. You know, they're little bits, a little bit here, a little bit there. But when you go from, from your bow in five years from now, you'll come in and shoot the new one. You'll be like, holy to moly. You know, you get that, you get that wow factor, you know. And so that's typically what we kind of see in the bow world. Um, crossbow world, you just don't see that as much because, again, there's not a lot of things that really change other than other than maybe a little bit more faster or a little bit narrower or a little bit lighter type thing. So um, what we saw early on was guys just wanting a, a cheap entry level, you know, a $300, $400 crossbow, and now all of a sudden we got $3,000 crossbows out there. It's it's insane, 4000 It's nuts. Um, but those guys you don't see change as often, you know, sure. crossbows. You know, it's it's just more, I need some broadheads, I need some new bolts. Hey, it's been two years or 250 shot. Yep, it's time for new strings and cables. And they're on their way again. So, um, bow guys, that's, that's the nice thing. You can do a lot more tinkering, and I think that's what still keeps me going in that bow world. There's, there's so much that we can do on bows that we just can't do on crossbows as far as tuning and stuff like that. So... Yeah, except uh, arrow selection, new sights, new rest, this. Yeah, that would be probably it. I, I mean, you could play around with maybe arrow tuning and, mm -hmm. you know, playing with arrow weight or something like that, but, yeah. or, yeah, messing around with, like, different broadhead selections or, I don't know. I mean, yeah. is there much for, like, changing up your fletchings on the crossbow bolts? Does that no. make much difference? No, not really on most crossbows, just because, again, it's riding on a rail, you know, so that, that string is just propelling it down basically a long arrow rest if, if you will right you know so again guys are like can i put helical on this you can put as much helical on it that will allow it to get through this little channel that it's running through that's what you can do with it yeah. are so, there many guys that are trying to do that or try it, to get arrow spin there was a guy in yesterday going man i really want to shoot helical and i'm like if we put this helical and i laid it in the track i'm like it won't go i go you know we can do we can do probably a two degree offset for you and get you rolling, but yeah. And I think for the guys that come from the bow world that go to the crossbow world, I, <laughs> they it, want to do it, that it's kind of lackluster. It's like, <laughs> man, man, I can't, I can't fool with this. You know, I can't change this. I can't change that type thing. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's what we're seeing a lot of now. Guys are coming in. They're a lot more well-educated because there's some great guys out on YouTube that put out some great videos. There's some great podcasts that are out there, like this one, that uh, <laughs> that put out content. And so guys are reaching them. You're reaching people where they're at, you know, which I think is awesome in this game. And so you've got customers that come in with – better education on as far as what product they want or what bows they do want to try and try and shoot because they do trust certain individuals that they're following on on social media and that which is awesome it kind of does help make my job easier a little bit in some areas probably easier and probably more difficult in some areas because if they, they get their mindset on you know this is what so-and-so said that you have to do correct this is what we're doing correct yeah um, which again, so and so said it, so it is gospel, <laughs> right? You know, yep. So, I mean, I guess that's going to follow up the last little bit of uh, what I want to discuss here is you know, arrow setups. That's a really big topic these days. 
um, probably especially ever since the Ranch Ferry made its debut. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's picked up a lot of momentum in that regard. And, you know, I even admit I played around. I mean, I I think the heaviest I've set an arrow up is like 630 grains. Mm-hmm. And again, I've shoot a 75 or 70 pound bow at 27 and a half inch yeah. draw. Like, yeah. so I lose a ton of speed you in that do. regard. Yes. Um, I'm basically shooting, you know, field artillery and lobbing yeah. them in at, at things. But, uh, but then you, you can kind of come back and see that, you know, you don't have to go to the extreme in that regard. Sure. No, everybody's going to be what they're, what they're into. And again, Ranch Ferry has made this very, very popular. The hunting public's made it very popular. Um, they put out some great content there. And, and I love it because it does get a buzz going. It's kind of like a new new thing. And so you get both sides. So everybody loves a good debate. You know, oh, fast arrows, slow arrows, you know, back and forth. Um, for me, I do run heavy FOC. Uh, I, I did increase my FOC. Uh, I run a 95 insert, which allows me to shoot 100 or 125 grain broadhead, which really opens up the door for me in broadhead choices. Yep. Uh, I don't want to go 300 grains and have to be married to brand XYZ. I, I understand why guys do, totally understand it, but I like, I, I'm just doing it just the opposite. Instead of going heavy broadhead, because a lot of manufacturers are coming out with super heavy broadheads, you know, 200, 250, 300 grain just broadheads but running a standard insert type in it as well um so for me i spined up two sizes so typically i'm shooting i'm right on the edge again i don't pull a lot of poundage um 400 340 so um is typically the spine shaft that i would shoot in a conventional type setup traditional here's here's cookie cutter arrow this is going to work for you um so I spined up, I'm shooting 300 spine with a 95 grain insert, which truly drops me down to roughly a 400 spine arrow. And so, um, did increase my weight. I think I'm mid fives right now. Um, I love how they fly. Um, a heavier arrow does seem to be much more stable. Um, you know, look at a dart, you know, if you throw darts, darts are heavy on the front side, light on the back side. It's kind of that same principle of what we're doing is we're propelling a dart towards our target. Um, you know, we can get into the broadhead debate all you want, single bevel, double bevel, mechanical, you know, that debate is still always going to be there, but there is definitely benefits of a heavy FOC in the fact that it does penetrate better. We do see better penetration. Um, you know, I got guys that come in and go, I want to shoot them through the front shoulder. And I'm like, there's no vitals in the front shoulder. Don't shoot them there. Uh, so mistakes happen, but if we got a quarter away and you hit that opposite shoulder, they want that broadhead doing its job and stuff. Um, and so with that heavy FOC without going crazy, um, I think I probably gave up maybe 20, 30 feet per second compared to what I was shooting. So it's not like I'm losing a lot of speed versus the reward. Um, you know, I was talking about the, the buck I killed last year. Literally, it blew through and the arrow was laying on the ground. It did not even penetrate into the ground. And that's exactly what I'm looking for. I want penetration. I want two holes. I want an in and an out. That's what I want. How far it buries in the dirt after that, I don't care. Right. You know, 
but again if it's burying if it's burying half a shaft in the dirt then i'm probably i've got a lot of damn energy still there so yep now i can start playing a little bit now i can start putting in my mindset going hey you know man that really penetrated deep in that dirt and stuff maybe i can give up a little bit you know go to a heavier broadhead or or a heavier shaft overall um shoot a little bit slower or hey i i I can probably shoot a little bit faster and still be okay you know i can maybe back off the weight that i'm shooting and go to a little bit lighter shaft just depending on what guys are looking at because again now we start talking pin gaps um are gonna increase or decrease depending on what speed we're shooting and so guys can guys can look at that so many different ways going man that thing buried in the dirt good i'm not killing dirt i'm killing deer so um yeah because i know that you know that's one thing that i i'm kind of in that phase now where i went with the heavy arrow i went with a you know a smaller fixed blade you know i played around with a few different designs and you know i love i love the penetration bit and yeah i mean you know i haven't you know shoulder to deer with with the setup yet but i have you know punching through their you know through their uh scapula and whatnot no issue there blaze right through but then looking at okay i'm getting through there but blood trails kind of suck because mm-hmm. i'm going with a smaller hole for that trying to get that penetration up making it a little bit harder for the track job so can i give up some of that you know momentum or that penetration capability mm-hmm get a wider cut maybe get maybe cut a little bit more maybe get a little bit opener or a bigger wound sure so that's one thing that i'm going to be exploring probably over the next couple of years of see kind of where that where i can find that balance with my bow setup you know and you know get the try to find that middle point of that best of both worlds yeah. where i'm still shooting fast enough where i don't have you know really bad gapping whereas if i'm off on my yardage by you know a yard and a half I'm not shooting under the deer because I'm too heavy sure. and I don't have that forgiveness. Yeah. Or like you said, I don't need to bury it halfway into a tree behind the deer or right. bury it completely in the dirt. Like that's wasted energy. Correct. It, it is in, and that's where each person has to dive in. What makes you happy? What is going to make you content going, Hey, yeah, I, I really could use a little bit flatter because, again, flatter, maybe I increase my, my, quote, kill distance maybe another 5 yards or 10 yards, which if you increase your kill distance by 5 yards, imagine how much more of a perimeter you're truly covering or another 10 yards. It, it's huge. It's huge by being able to increase that, have that confidence. Um, so... Like I say, it's 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 an age-old battle that we go through with this, you know. Um, it's it's been cool seeing the mechanicals. We get two inch, two and a half, three inch cutting diameters now. You know, guys are shoving hatchets through them. Basically, is what it does. <laughs> um, but with that, obviously, the quality of the materials that they're bending blades, counting on the mechanical advantage to do everything. You're creating all this energy but you're lacking on the penetration, you know, and, and I, I think if we've all watched hunting videos, we see, man, look at the penetration, dude, there's 12 inches of arrow still sticking outside that deer or half a shaft sticking outside that deer. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimate goal is we need an entrance. We need an exit. That's, that's our ultimate goal. That's what's going to give us that awesome, great blood trail, you know, especially if we're shooting from a tree stand. 
that's that's really what we're striving for in that situation. Um, some guy, you know, again, we go back to the old philosophy. Oh, I want that arrow staying in there because that broadhead's kind of moving around and cutting and this and that. And I'm like, yep, yeah, I understand that, you know. Like I say, I don't think, is there a right, is there a wrong? I don't know. Right. I, I, I would say probably not in that situation because, again, some guys' mindsets, you'll just never change no matter how hard you talk to them or on anything. So, But for me, I like having an entrance. I like having an I. I I really love an entrance, uh, <laughs> but I really want the exit too. So. Yep, and that's where I'm at too. I mean, yeah, if I can get that arrow all the way through, mm-hmm. excellent. Again, like you said, it and it all depends too on like what your setup is. Again, we come down to it comes down to the individual shooter. Sure. If you've got you know a 30 inch draw, you got a big long heavy arrow, you can probably because of all the amount of energy that you got, you could probably shoot that wider. You know, mm-hmm. less maybe less mechanically efficient fix or uh, mechanical. Sure. Still get a pass through, making a nice cutting hole. Mm-hmm. If you're shooting a light poundage bow, if you got short draw length, yeah. you're losing some of that mechanical advantage. You are. In that aspect, maybe you got to make that up somewhere. Yeah, for every inch underneath 30 inches, you can pretty much knock off about 10 feet per second off their IBO speeds that they manufacture's list. So you sit there and go, wow, I'm 27 and a half. Well, I can cut, holy moly, wow, I'm not going to be shooting very fast at all, you know. And so, um, and that's why you guys see, that's why you see guys shooting 70 or I need an 80-pound bow, guys, um, because... Yep. They have such a short draw length. That's the fastest way that they can increase it is by going with poundage. I I seriously considered going up to an 80-pound bow because I wanted to get make up for that loss of power. Yep. I I understand it. Yeah. I'm I'm blessed because I do have a draw length, so I don't have to shoot poundage to achieve speeds. Um, There's a lot of guys out there. Yeah. I, I envy guys with 32-inch draw links. I'm like, man, you have got power. You got power to spare. Right. You know, uh, you don't even have to pull weight if you don't want to. So, <laughs> um, but no, broadhead choices. Like I say, I, I look at it. You know, we can all watch the videos on ballistic gelatin, this and that, and stuff. And you know, it, it truly boils down to having a bow that is shooting the best that it can, sending an arrow out as true as it can, getting as much weight behind that broadhead to do its job when it goes, when it hits its target. Yep. Um, yeah, I've had some great blood trails with mechanical broadheads. Um, I mean, like, wow, it's like somebody painted the woods. Um, I've had bad blood trails with mechanical broadheads, like, because it was too close, had a high entrance, low exit. And it was just a terrible blood trail, you know. Um, in the same way with fixed blade broadheads, you know, you get last year shot mine 30 yards. I mean, I literally had blood from where it started to where it went, and it died 30 yards from where it was. So, I mean, it was awesome. Um, but I've also had those where it's like hands and knees looking for pinhead drops, and then finally all of a sudden it opens up. So, yep. Um, is there a right or wrong answer? Shoot what shoot what you like. Shoot what makes you comfortable. Uh, I do like being able to resharpen my broadheads, so I do shoot a fixed where I can resharpen it, uh, put it on a leather strop, and hone it up. And it, you know, there's something satisfying about working a broadhead. You know, I I just find great joy in it. You know, <laughs> um, 
it, it's just like fletching my own arrows and stuff. I there's certain things where you just sit there and go, man, I, I get great joy out of this and creating what you did to make the hunt happen and stuff. And so, yep, I get to do that a lot with guys though. So. I yeah, you work. get to walk through that process with a lot of people. A lot of people, man. A lot of people. And it's, you know, that is probably the best part of my job, honestly, is seeing the success of other people. Um, for the longest time, I never hunted out of state. I didn't, you know, I'm sitting here going, nope, I work in a bow shop. I got to work, 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 work. And finally, finally, uh, about five, five years ago, it's like I, I need build time. And so I took it and... Um, now I get to experience what everybody else was experiencing all along. And I'm like, man, <laughs> and I'm hooked. But, um, again, I, I love seeing, I love seeing kids come in, you know, they shot their first, first buck and, and I don't care if it's a spike, a fork, a six, it doesn't matter to me. I'm happy. I'm happy for that kid. Um, I think that's where we got to get with this sport is we see too many people focusing on things that we shouldn't be focusing on we should be encouraging and being supportive we were all there we've all shot spikes we've all shot four points in our time um why should we we don't need the ridiculing we don't need the bashing of of people um we need to support and and uplift each other and encourage um and that's one of the negatives of social media i think uh, that that i see is it's easy to type something and not realize what you're doing to somebody and you know it a kid a kid shooting his first deer man should be high fives you know it should be high fives all around no matter what should be high fives um we all started somewhere in this sport and we all grow to different spots we choose what we make this sport for each of us it's not my job to instill my beliefs or what i feel hunting needs to be or should be on you you can agree with me and disagree with me and we can go about our day that's the great thing about it and just have fun shoot what shoot what makes you happy man yep. you know um yeah as long as you got your heart racing and that was an absolutely animal that you to harvest absolutely and don't even that like They've, there's even been more of a talk I've seen on social media. People like, hey, like, don't say you can't eat the antlers. Like, you shot that. Bu- Be excited about that bug. Absolutely. Regardless what this rack was. You see so many guys when they post up. Well, it's not a big one. I, let me be the judge of that. Don't worry about. Don't don't give me that. You know. Yeah. Don't You're, don't apologize for the deer that you shot. Absolutely. Man. Yeah. Be happy. You know. Rejoice in what you got, man rejoice in it it's going to provide food for your family or a family in need whatever the case may be enjoy it that's that's what you took and reap it man yep just but also we don't need to be that guy on the keyboard going i wouldn't have shot well hey your standards are better good for you mm-hmm. your standards are your standards that's who they are that's who that's who you're competing against is you then yep yeah those you, will be probably the two big negatives of of social media is like yeah the, the keyboard warriors that mm-hmm. criticize and then also the stress it gives you when you see that everyone else is shooting a big buck and you haven't yet yeah yeah and then you gotta remember like what is it i'm trying to remember what the percentage like even in michigan it's like 20 percent of hunters actually harvest anything no. or something along that line Absolutely. i think it was like as low as 10 percent of hunters actually kill more than one deer yeah so it's like yeah it's, it's incredible social I... media skews 
the the harvest rate. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah. Nobody, well, everybody got tired of posting selfies of not getting deer up in the tree, I think is what happened. Hey, I'm out <laughs> here hunting, but I don't have a deer. Yeah. Um, day so 38. Day nothing. 38. Here's another selfie for you guys. Um, no, it's, yeah, it can be discouraging seeing the social media posts and stuff. And, and, and I think that's where some of that negativity stems from is guys are like, man, I I'd really shoot that deer, but I got to bash him because I haven't shot anything yet, you know, type thing. I, you know, if I can't have that deer, you know, we see it all the time when there's a potential world record and stuff. Instantly, it's guys going to, was well, it, is it legal? You know, I mean, sure. it, it's so, it's so easy to throw that illegal word out and stuff. And mm-hmm. it, like I say, it's, there's, there's good and bad on that social media side of things, but. Um, big thing is, is man, hunting season's coming up. It's going to be an awesome time. Mm. Uh, I've been envious watching people in Kentucky and stuff, being able to shoot deer already and not being able to go out myself. So, um, it's time for season to roll around and, and I hope everybody has a great and successful season. I hope it's everything that you want it to be and, and that you get great joy out of it. And if not, just enjoy what God gave us out there and watch that sunrise. Right. Yep. I mean, that's a big thing. Enjoy it. I mean, yeah, you may have different motivations of why you're doing it, but make sure you're enjoying it. That's absolutely the key. So enjoy it. Take a kid hunting, you know, that's the big thing. This sport, you know, well, sorry, I can keep this going all night long with you. <laughs> you know, the DNR came out with, you know, they're trying to kill more does and all that fun stuff. And our hunter numbers are down. So, I mean, it tells me we're not retaining we're taking kids, we're getting them in the woods during the youth season and stuff, but we're not retaining those hunters. And so, um, maybe, maybe it's not about looking at kids now. Now maybe it's about looking at your buddy who doesn't hunt, you know, and say, man, you know, I got this bow sitting in my garage collecting dust. We can get it set up for you. You know, I can pay it forward. I love paying it forward anytime I can. And so, um, introduce somebody, you know, introduce somebody to the sport again we want to get these numbers back up especially in the state of michigan that's where we're struggling numbers are i think at an all-time low since can't remember the date was it 2010 something like that it was it's crazy though that the numbers because we've seen kind of a surge during covid and then all of a sudden it kind of everybody went back to work and then they decided not to hunt yeah um but like I say, introduce somebody to the outdoors. If it brings you great joy and has been a instrumental part of, of who you are in your life and stuff, you know, it's great introducing the kids. But again, like I say, I just don't feel that we're seeing those retention numbers from that youth because they go to college and, and this and that, and then they start building their family. So maybe look at that 30, 40 year old guy next door neighbor and stuff. He's got a couple kids and you know, Ask him if he hunts and if he's interested in it. And yep. Which, I mean, they're seeing tremendous success with that um, for the NDA with their Field to Fork program. Yeah. They're getting a lot of people that, you know, are looking at maybe I maybe I can't get everything from the grocery store. Maybe I need to start being yeah. more self-sufficient in that regard. And they're seeing a lot of, lot of uh, um, you know, promise in that aspect. That's awesome. Like you said, with adult hunters, that people that like, hey, maybe I need to be more yeah. self-sufficient. I want to be, you know. Maybe not get that factory farmed, you know, mm-hmm. you know, beef or whatever sure. from the store. Sure. And uh, 
yeah, I think, and again, I talked about it last episode with taking my daughter out. I mean, you know, I kind of knew kind of what that idea of being a mentor for someone was, but haven't gone through that with a brand. I mean, she was brand new to the whole idea of hunting just this year yeah. and just going through that process with her. I mean, if I couldn't shoot another deer again, but just keep working yeah. with her, I'd be happy. Yeah. So again, very rewarding. And again, it kind of, it kind of brings you back home as to what's important when, mm-hmm. when it comes to, you know, the process and, you know, basically that whole thing of, you know, the, the safety, the, the preparation, the, the processing, everything like that. Absolutely. It's, it's about, it's about showing everything. I mean, that's what we get on TV. Oh, here's the kill shot. Here's the post shot. That's it. We don't get, hey, here's the gut job. Here's the skinning job. Here's the processing job. Here's the reward. Hey, I'm having venison tonight for dinner. You know, we don't see that. We just, you know, I, I don't know why more don't do it that way because I think I think it's great. I love what Michigan Out of Doors does in the wild game recipes and stuff like that because, again, right. it's, it's taken what you what we're all out there for is to enjoy what, what we got, you know, and then prepare it and stuff. And so, but apparently that doesn't sell enough, uh, enough product on, uh, some of the channels. So, right. But, um, it is, I've, I've taken youth out and it is very, very rewarding to watch their success. It's also very rewarding. I had a man, a young man that I took out one year. He took a, uh, took his first buck and man, it was like high fives in that tent. I mean, man, it was, I'm surprised the tent stayed in place. You know, <laughs> I mean, we were hugging. It was great. Um, and then the next year I had a couple real good bucks that I had on camera and, uh, offered it again to that young man. I said, man, you want to go out? And he's like, yep. And so we went out and we never saw one of the bucks that I had on camera. We seen, We've seen bucks of the caliber that he had shot previously. We've seen does, all that fun stuff. And he held out that whole time for that buck. And and I said, at the end of it, we did not harvest. And so we got to the very end of it. And I said, would you change anything? And he goes, not a thing. He goes, I knew what I wanted to come out here for. It didn't happen. And that's okay. And I'm like, kudos to you, man. Kudos to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean... Stick to your guns. Stick to your guns, yep. and, and understanding that it's not going to happen every time. No, like you're gonna no. you're gonna fail more than you succeed. No, nope. absolutely. Yep. But that's it. That's where you get those. That's where you get those. Um, one, you get stories from it, but two, you get that learning experience. You know, uh, we never learn by our successes. It's always by our failures that make us grow. And I think that's the most important thing to remember is. Because, man, I, I would have killed some big bucks in a young age growing up down in Midland County if I knew what I knew today. And I sit <laughs> and I look at it going, man. But it's those experiences that brought me to where I am and stuff today. So, yep. which is awesome. Awesome. Yep. But, yeah. So, I mean, I've kept you. Oh, gosh. We've been at it for almost two and a half hours now. So It's, it's crazy how you can just <laughs> sit and talk and things flow and stuff and it's a good time yeah. it's absolutely a good time yeah i don't need many excuses to sit around and talk about hunting or fishing or no. whatever but yeah no when it's in your blood it's in your blood and uh thankfully we got wives behind us that understand that and uh <laughs> right. and tolerate that and you know some of us have wives that hunt i wish mine i wish mine shared that same passion that i do but 
she's into different things and and that's great because we both have our passions yep. and, and we get to pursue them so yep but again like you said i mean like this is going to be out on opening day so yeah goes best of luck for everyone out there again best like you of said. luck enjoy that sunrise man there ain't nothing like an opening day sunrise enjoy that sunrise yep all right have a good season everyone All right, so that's it for the conversation with Bill. What I tell you, the guy's a wealth of knowledge. You know, again, he's one of those guys you can just kind of talk about hunting and bow hunting and just kind of everything in general uh, to your heart's content. You know, we actually uh, we started talking well before we even started recording, and we talked well after we were done recording. Um, basically the only thing that cut it off was that my wife showed up and it was time to start making some dinner. So yeah, so hopefully you found, uh, this discussion helpful and things to maybe think about, or maybe things that you might've missed or, uh, something to think about in the future for, uh, for future bow setups. Or if you, um, if your bow setup's not quite what you wanted it to be for this year, it's something that you can take in for next year or, you know, if you're really, if you're really feeling ambitious, you know, this is something that you can get corrected for this year. So if something's not quite right, go take it in to a bow shop and let them take a look at it. Maybe they can help you out, get those fine tuned details in line. That way you're that much more accurate and ready to go for when you hit the woods. Final plug too, or final couple of plugs, I guess I should say. So if you are in the Northwest lower Michigan area and you do want to uh, work with Bill, Again, head on over to Shooters Outfitters in Traverse City. He'll work with you. Again, as you know, there's a lot of things that he can either, uh, you know, basically he's not going to try to sell you anything that you don't necessarily need. He's going to work with you. So if you want to just grab a bow off the shelf or grab some arrows and, you know, do a quick tune and get out the door, you can do that. If you really want to work with him, do a deep dive on, you know, the finer points of archery, he will work with you on that as well. So, you know, all the team members over there are are great. They're very friendly, very helpful. Um, they'll they'll work with you. So so if you like this episode, make sure again you hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, share the show with your friends, and if you want more, again head on over to mihuntingpodcast.com where I have the full collection of all the content available as well as additional features and information that's out there. You can sign up for a newsletter. that will give you kind of up-to-date things for, um, you know, date-wise or and just kind of news in general. Become a member. Your membership supports this show directly as well as grant you access to, again, a live show, discounts, giveaways, and additional content as well. So, again, good luck out there to all you hunters out there. You know, again... Here in Michigan, we waited out as we saw other states that had their opportunity to get out, go after whitetail a little bit earlier than us. Now is our time. So good luck out there for everyone. And as always, get out there, be safe, and have fun. <laughs>